the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Oh, boy, there's a lot going on on Wall Street today. Um, we're going to hit it. We're going to talk about retirement. We're going to talk about some of the top stories of the day. We have a Fed day. What is a Fed day? Um, the Federal Reserve. There are a bunch of bankers who get around the country. There's one in Richmond. There's one in Philadelphia. There's one in San Francisco. You get the basic idea. They're in every major metropolitan area and or city. Um, they get together and they robble. They get together and they talk about what's things going on in your business district like? What's things going on in your business business district? What's going well? What's going bad? What's causing inflation? What's not leading to inflation? Um, they, they talk. They also write a lot of great research papers. If you ever get a chance to dig into them and you like that kind of thing, you can go to the Federal Reserve's website um, and start reading collegiate-level papers on finance. Not the best thing in the world. Um, 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. Uh, Markets have opened higher. It's Fed Reserve Day, and I'm not saying that it doesn't mean anything until the Fed talks, but it kind of doesn't mean anything until the Federal Reserve talks. What do we expect to hear from the FOMC announcement and Fed Chair Powell's question and answer today? The question and answer happens, I believe, at 2 Eastern. Roll back the time to wherever you are, 11 Pacific. You can figure it out, right? But they're going to talk about how the economy is rebounding from the depths of the COVID crisis. I think that's kind of important stuff to hear. Maybe not for you, but definitively in my world. Uh, the September Fed Open Market Committee meeting could offer clues for the next steps on monetary policy. No one's really expecting interest rates to move higher until at least the end of 2023. I know you're, you're hearing that right. <laughs> 2023, and you're like, okay, I know 2019, COVID-19, 2020, kind of pushing towards the end of the year. Are you, we really talking the end of 2023? But yeah, they're going to have to plot out projections, economic projections. Um, they call it a plot chart, plots and dots. Uh, Powell's going to likely offer more color on the new framework where he's trying to plot you know, target inflation. He thinks inflation could moderately rise above the 2% target the Fed has always used. So we'll probably get a little bit more explicit forward guidance uh, coming from the Federal Reserve. 2023, which means mortgage rates are going to stay low, which means cost of money for you on a mortgage is going to be low, but cost of money for a business who's issuing a bond or a business who's uh, raising money should remain relatively low, depending on the company, of course. Not all companies are created equal. It's easier for 
uh, A-rated companies to borrow money cheaper than it is for uh, junk companies. And that's the difference in bonds. An A-rated bond like an Apple will pay one-third of 1%, whereas a, a company who's struggling to pay bills is probably borrowing more at the 3 4 5% levels. And that's a big difference. So ultimately, what I'm saying with the Federal Reserve is we, we should have an economic environment that's conducive to rising stocks, that's conducive to rising real estate. Good news if you have a home, bad news if you don't. So let's talk about some other stories that are out there today. Um, a surprising number came out on Yelp. 60% of business closures due to the pandemic are now permanent. Now, there's a lot going on in that statement. Yelp released a report revealing business closures across the United States. Um, recent update shows that 163,000 businesses have indicated on Yelp that they're closed. Permanent closures, though, that say we won't be reopening are now at 97,000, which is 60% of the businesses that are closed. That's a big number. Again, it doesn't take a brain scientist, rocket genius, to figure out what's working and what isn't working. <clears throat> what's working are pizza places, coffee shops, delis. They're treading much better water than overall restaurants. But in the world of restaurants, what's closing are breakfast places, brunch places, sandwich shops, and Mexican restaurants. I don't get the Mexican restaurants. Uh, my favorite taqueria um, is quite busy all the day long, it feels like. And they, do, they seem to be doing a good job. So that's a big story. 60% of businesses are permanently closed out of the 163,000 businesses that have closed due to the pandemic. So when you hear about small businesses, that's kind of a real thing. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Um, positive tone on Wall Street this morning, probably because earnings were fine last night. Nothing went bad. Nothing went, I don't want to say COVID. Nothing went COVID on us. Can I say that or is that rude? Um, FedEx and Adobe. Both solid double-digit revenue growth. FedEx makes a lot of sense with us not going to stores. We won't have a Black Friday this year where we trounce into malls and run people over. It'll be much more nuanced with online delivery, and FedEx will be there. So Adobe, um, I didn't hear their call. I had a little bit of a rough day yesterday, uh, just some personal issues. But I will listen to it later and get back to you on that one. Southwest Airlines said that they're going to stay no middle seat through November, and that they're doing pretty well as far as cutting costs. And they also said they've seen improved leisure travel demand trends. Microsoft is raising its dividend. Woo! Mo money, mo money, mo. General Motors is up 3.5% after saying it's aiming to manufacture family electric car drive systems and motors. Eli Lilly's up on positive data for its COVID antibody treatment. Antibody treatments seem to be kind of a cool thing coming out of the healthcare industry at this point in time. It's fun to talk. Boeing's down after the House Transportation Committee said that a report on the 737 MAX 
they see a lot of problems. They see a lot of problems with how it was handled, and fault is on Boeing. Not too much of a surprise, is it? NVIDIA is lower. Global Times out of China highlighted concerns about letting a U.S. company buy ARM holdings. Uh, that was a big deal. We'll talk about that later in the show, hopefully. Facebook's down on a gaggle of celebrities recommending a one-day boycott and reports that the company could see possible uh, Fair Trade Commission hit with an antitrust suit. How is Apple avoiding antitrust suits? I'll be honest with you. Uh, what they announced yesterday was almost downright offensive to developers. Uh, they announced a scope of subscriptions called Apple One, which will be Apple Music, Apple TV Plus, and Apple Arcade for not that much money. And it can go across all six platform, uh, six users. It's pretty ridiculous. Um, six users, I might have that one wrong. It might be five. But it's anti-competitive behavior of your Spotify, of your Fortnite, or of your Facebook. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. As we're all getting older, we're approaching retirement, whether we want to or not. Um, on a regular basis, you'll see you know, football players play three years. That's the average length of a football player's career, and then they're done. That's their career. What's your career? It's important that you talk to your children and say, think about a career at some point in time. Uh, think about a career that won't get displaced. The media industry is brutal. But even in the media industry, there's been careers launched that are, are, as TV and radio have seen money come out of them in the last 10, 20 years, you've seen some YouTube stars say, oh, watch me here. Not as many as we're in radio and television, but you get the idea. There are always opportunities. Career is something really important to think about. Um, I tell my kids, you know, you're going to have enough money, but Try to find a career that makes you happy. Try to find something in life that that, that, that stimulates you. Um, talk to your kids about this stuff. Try to think of a career that's not going to go out of business. I wouldn't recommend being a banker. I wouldn't recommend, like, there's a lot of things that you can throw out there. You know, one of the, the craziest, craziest emails I ever got was when I was given the spiel on college is expensive. Try not to get a degree in poetry. Because there's not a lot of poets out there. And, you know, if you're throwing down $100,000 for a degree in science and engineering, you throw down $100,000 for a degree in poetry, those are two very different careers. And this person sent me a scathing email talking about how his brother is the leader of a Latin American country, a big one, and he happens to have a degree in poetry. And I'm like, okay, show me another. But that's the jerk in me, right? Um, so what do we have here? We got the Fed saying that they're going to keep rates low for years. 60% of businesses closed due to the pandemic are now permanent. Apple is wielding a lot of power over Fortnite, Facebook, and Spotify. All three of those companies have kind of griped recently. And even Microsoft has said, yeah, we don't really like that Apple store and, and how they do business. So if you get a subscription to Spotify on an Apple phone, Apple gets 30% of that cut. That's amazing. That's stunning. That's impressive. So not only do does Apple get money when they do Apple Music, but Spotify gives them money to be on the iTunes platform when people sign up for subscriptions. Uh, companies like Epic, they were rocking and rolling. The 
rolling through season one, season two, chapter one, chapter two of Fortnite. Um, and then they got into a squabble with Apple. Apple saying they got into a squabble with us because they're, they're, they're upset that the game's not doing as well as it used to. They're trying to pull in some media attention for themselves. I don't know about that. Uh, but when you buy a virtual skin on Fortnite, Apple's getting a big cut of that action. Um, Facebook says Apple's plans to, and I, this is controversial, um, with Apple's plans to basically opt in to market tracking will put them, it will hurt their business significantly. It will do damage to developers. It will do damage to them. So developers out there are kind of banding together. And Microsoft says, yeah, we kind of agree with the developers on this one, that Apple's charging too much for their store. That would be a significant negative to the stock <clears throat> if any of this ever gains traction or momentum. And there's a lawsuit. Uh, and, you know, they win. And the Department of Justice says, let's see if there's anything anti-competitive here. Let's do the sniff test. <clears throat> and one of the things Apple announced yesterday kind of smells anti-competitive. They're putting together a bundle uh, subscription service of called Apple One, which will include Apple Music, Apple TV Plus, and Apple Arcade. Uh, seeing that I do Apple Music and Apple Arcade and Apple TV was free for a year, I, I see myself as I could potentially hit that. Um, I know you're saying, was that a sexual reference? It kind of sounds like it was, but it wasn't. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. You know, I'm talking about retirement a lot during the show. Uh, the business stories, the the climate for low interest rates are very conducive to uh, real estate appreciating, very conducive to uh, stocks increasing. But we'll learn a little bit more on what the Fed sees later today, 1130 this morning, when there's a little Q&A going on with Fed Chairman Jerome Powell. You need to have a strategy to get to retirement. Let's talk about that. Um, there's a difference between... Saving money in your 20s and saving your money in your 30s. Saving money in your 40s, you're probably too late when you start. It's retirement if you're 40. It's no longer a distant thought. It's no longer that, you know, uh, it's not going to happen to me. I don't see myself getting that gold watch. I don't see that. Like, it's it's coming. It's coming for me, too. Uh, now, in your 40s, you still have some time to make some smart moves, but you really, really, really have to have some money invested. Uh, a 25-year-old and a 35-year-old both invest $6,000 a year. Each gets an 8% return. At 65 years old, the 25-year-old has $1.6 million. The 35-year-old has 734000 So waiting between 25 and 35 is the difference of half a million dollars. Uh, more than that, $900,000 roughly. Because it doubled that one last cycle. Money doubles every 7.2 years, in theory, if you put it in the stock market, like an S&P 500 fund, Wilshire 5000. Um, you could kind of figure out some, some rate of returns. So if money doubles every 10 years, the difference between a $6,000 a year investment, what's that come to? 60000 in 10 years? So, so the 25-year-old puts in 6000 after 10 years at 60,000, the 35 year old starts with zero and puts in 6,000. That difference of $60,000 turns into almost a million dollars in retirement. 
just because a 25-year-old started before a 35-year-old did. It's important. And I don't know if $6,000 is a lot to you. Let's say it's a compromise to me. $2,000 is, is too little, but it's a start. Uh, 15% of your pay, pay check is probably too much for most people to like digest. Unless you're making $200,000, dollars $400,000 a year, that's a big number to say 15%. I've done more than 15% for as long as I can remember. I can only remember a year. No, I've, I've done 15% for as long as I remember. But also, I do more than that. Like, um, I get 2% cash back on a credit card. I, I save that automatically. I use my rewards not as, woohoo, let's go on vacation. I use it as an extra boost to retirement. So, just something to think about. The difference between a 25-year-old saving 6000 a month and a 35-year-old saving 6000 a year. And a 35-year-old saving 6000 Comes out to about half to almost a million dollars. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. And streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. I believe I'm supposed to have on Patrick O'Hare right here right now. Um, hopefully he calls back because I think he just called and we might have hung up on him. Ah, there he is, uh, Patrick O'Hare. Mr. O'Hare, how are you? Hey, Rob, I'm doing fine, thanks. Sorry about almost terminating our interview. My producer said, <laughs> do you have an interview? I'm like, no. And then I'm like, yes. Week's already halfway over is, is, is causing me concern. Um, it's Wednesday. It's Patrick O'Hare Day. It's briefing.com day. Um, today is a big day. The Federal Reserve is going to meet. You mentioned this in your page one column at briefing.com. I think it's a big day. Um, what do you think about the Federal Reserve meeting day? And is it big or am I hyping it up? No, it's, it's definitely a big day. Um, certainly, you know, the Fed is, is the center of attention these days, really. So uh, when you have, um, you know, the FOMC set to make a policy decision, you know, likely to change, you know, the wording of its directive to compensate for its new inflation mandate, um, you know, and everyone curious to see what goes on with the uh, infamous dot plot and what it might suggest about the path of interest rates. It, you know, it's certainly an important development. Um, the question is, I think, really is uh, as important as it is, you know, will it be Will the stock market really react to any of it? You know, there's been so much said about the meeting leading up to it and what's likely to come out of it. Uh, you know, there's it's possible that it just kind of gets greeted with a collective yawn because much of it was known ahead of time. And, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that the stock market is well aware uh, that the Fed is on its side and is going to continue to be on its side for, for some time still. I was reading a report this morning that it looks like 2023 is the expectation now for when the Federal Reserve might raise interest rates. So I'm starting to read my television copy, and I have to put it in kind of average man terms. If they keep interest rates low until 2023, which there's no promise, but that's the assumption, I think, um, that's good for uh, home prices. It's good for the stock market historically. Um there's no guarantees, but is that kind of am I am I barking up the right tree by saying that? Well, 
no, you're uh, you're not. Uh, I mean, you are barking, barking up the right tree. I mean, that, that is going to be the case. Um, you know, if the Fed's going to sit at the zero bound, you know, let's say until 2023, well, uh, you're not going to see prime lending rates go up, really. Um, and, you know, that has a lot to do with what, you know, one can expect to see out of a, out of a, a variable credit card rate, um, you know, uh, with the Fed still likely to be active in purchasing, you know, mortgage-backed securities, uh, as well as as well as treasuries and probably longer-dated treasuries, um, you know, you have some reason to believe that, you know, mortgage rates are going to continue to remain near historically low levels, and that's going to be a stimulant for housing demand, which, you know, which is good. Um, and, of course, as you mentioned, you know, the stock market, uh, has already been feasting on this notion that rates are going to stay near the zero bound for an extended period of time. And, and while that's, you know, opportunistic and beneficial clearly now, um, you have to be cognizant of the risk, though, that it does feed into a, into an asset bubble. Um, that may not mean so much, uh, or it could mean from a collective stock market standpoint, or it could mean you know, certain pockets of the market just get way carried away. Um, but that's something that you know investors need to be mindful of when all we hear is that there is no other alternative for anyone seeking yield than the stock market, and and there are some valid you know uh, arguments to be made in that respect. But you know, just buying stocks just to you know, drive them up in a parabolic fashion because there's no alternative. Uh, usually, uh, will come to a uh, um, uh, an end that's not so favorable. But it's all about timing. There, you know, you can stay overbought and and overzealous for for many years before you see you know an asset bubble actually get popped and and you run the ramifications of that. But for now, the market though is still quite pleased with the idea that, you know, rates are going to remain low. Very good and well said and uh, very eloquent. That helps me. So I'll keep that and treasure that. Uh, take a look at your page one. Uh, earnings last night out of FedEx and Adobe, both solid double-digit revenue growers. Um, they the economy seems to be functioning in somewhat at lower expectations, but uh, once again, Wall Street is you know, beating lower expectations. It's kind of the thing it does. Um, is that a, a nice summary of Bowie of uh, Adobe and FedEx? Well, it is. You know, the thing I did like in particular about I don't do a really individual stock analysis, but just from you know a big picture point of view, you know these companies delivered really nice earning surprises with double-digit revenue growth, right? So you've seen a lot of companies, you know, report better than expected earnings and far better than expected earnings, but then you look at the top line and they're down year over year. So what that tells you is that they, they achieved this, you know, earning surprise primarily through cost cutting, right? Uh, but FedEx and Adobe are seeing strong demand and, uh, and that's a really uh, encouraging sign, you know, for their shareholders. Um, both stocks that had already had big runs, you know, leading up to the reports, FedEx seems to be reacting better <clears throat> on the other side of things here than Adobe is, but nonetheless, um, from a fundamental standpoint, you have to hand it to both companies from doing a, a really good job capitalizing on uh, what is certainly an opportunistic environment for them, given this work from home, stay at home uh, trend that's um, you know that's been clearly beneficial for for a specific subset of companies uh, versus you know most companies, I'd say then. 
that are having to rely on cost cutting to uh, to produce those positive earnings surprises. Sounds about right. Um, anything else that you're working on right now that we should be made aware of? Anything that's you find interesting? Any? I'm I'm stuck on the Federal Reserve today because I just stuck on it for some reason. Right, uh, and for good reason, Rob. You know, okay. we should be stuck on the Federal Reserve. I think we all are. I'm certainly, you know, uh, interested in what they're going to have to say, and, and that will factor into what I am working on uh, for this week. Uh, is, is I'm going to be updating Briefing.com's market view uh, as part of the the big picture column that I uh, publish every Friday, and uh, and you know. Uh, Fed policy is obviously very central to that market view, um, but there's a number of factors here that are going to be impactful, certainly in the near term. And of course, we can't forget about you know the election. So uh, between Fed policy and politics, uh, that's going to create some some volatility uh, here in the near term. But uh, but again, at the end of the day, I think the market. And continue to like the idea that rates are going to stay near zero. And this cost cutting we just talked about for a lot of these companies that aren't seeing the top line right now, well, it's it's ideally transforming them into more efficient businesses so that when you do get that top line growth, you've got a lot of leverage there that can translate into much stronger earnings growth in 2021. And that's another element that has been underpinning the stock market as well. Sounds good. Thanks for joining me today. And uh, we will read your weekly column as well as your weekday column. Weekday column is page one. I start my day each and every day with it. And the week end is the big picture. And he's going to give an updated market view on Friday. So I'll probably share some of that with the listeners on Monday. Real good stuff, and sorry that I'm like being a little bit odd here, but that's Patrick O'Hare with Briefing.com, Briefing.com. I'm really fixated on the Fed today, and I don't know why. Um, I, I almost did a double take when I saw that it's expectations, and that there's, there's betting futures on this, and they tend to be pretty darn right as far as when the Federal Reserve is going to raise rates or lower rates, and we're saying 2023, and that just... Honestly, that blows my mind at the opportunity um, out there. It, it justifies higher it justifies higher valuations. It stops people from going into bonds. It uh, lowers people's credit card bills, which helps the banking system uh, get fewer defaults. Um, it lowers more what you can afford. This is a weird concept, but go with me here. When you go to buy a house. And you need to put down five hundred thousand, or you need to let's say you what five hundred thousand dollar home, and you put down a hundred thousand, right? So you need to finance four hundred thousand. Financing four hundred thousand dollars at three point two five percent is way cheaper than financing a house at four point two five. Now that's a funny thing to say because I'm talking about the exponentials um, tie tie on this, where smaller numbers have bigger powers. Um, it's like earthquakes where they go from like a six one to a six two. That's much different than going from a five one to a five two. But you don't understand why. And you're like, I don't understand why. But you understand with the smaller numbers that you get more bang for your buck at three point two five than you do at four point two five. Less so at five point seven five versus six point two five. Um, and again, these are we are near historic lows on mortgage rates. This has been a wonderful time to buy a home because of the low cost of mortgages. Um, you only service people don't know, and this is where or I'm getting this weird concept that I kind of want to pound on for another second. Um, 
I know that my mortgage payment's $3,400 a month. When I took out my mortgage 12 years ago, that's about what I could afford comfortably while still saving for retirement, while still going on vacation. Now, I'm like, eh, it's nothing. It's gotten easier over time. But then, that low rate, that 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 fixed not like we know our number of what we're going to pay every month in a mortgage. Most of us don't know our balance. Most of us don't know our interest rate, but we know how much we can afford. Don't forget. There's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at KDOW.biz or on the KDOW radio app. Based off a podcaster who does a podcast called planet money, uh, written by Adam Davison. Davidson with a D, not a Davison without a D, but you get the idea. The fundamental shift that he says is happening in American business right now is what he calls a shift to the passion economy. The new landscape is essentially fusing two things at once, automation eliminating jobs and technology creating opportunities. Um, It's kind of, in his mind, a combination of the 19th century with what the best of the 20th century has to offer as far as technology goes. And he talks about economies of scale. And it gets really, really granular. And it drives you a little bit insane. And then finally, you get the point. And his point is something along the lines of intimacy at scale. He says it's Goldilocks market. Intimacy at scale. I'm like, what does that mean? And it's basically, if I can sum it up, and maybe I can't. I feel like this is a college project all of a sudden. It's all about having meaningful relationships with customers. Even if the customer base is just a few thousand people spread across the world. I see coming out of the pandemic this as a very true idea. Um, Restaurants, if they want me to come, they're going to have to treat me better than they used to treat me. And I'm going to have to pay more for that service. It's a very odd concept because he really starts getting into uh, the Amish, and less than 10% of them are farmers. The company's target audience is some 225,000 people spread thinly throughout the country who don't use smartphones or websites. So uh, he's talking about like how you look at business through the Amish lens and how you look through business through the I work at Facebook lens. And it's pretty interesting. The Amish represent a $12 billion market. Um, that's a whole ecosystem of providers. That's Yet, we never hear much about that, do we? I dated a girl once who was a, a nurse, and uh, she worked in upstate Pennsylvania, which is Amish country. And one of the, their inbreeding is so bad that they get some really exotic um, diseases. One of them was a child who couldn't smile. And it's it's one of the weirdest things to look at on YouTube because you associate smiling with happiness and kids. And this is a child who's probably 10, 15 years old at the time. And you could tell a joke and she would smile, but she can't smile. Um, but um, there's a plow company out of Norway that said, you know, we want to get into the farming of the Amish. And now they are the plow of the Amish. I could see that happening in lots of little subcultures of the United States. Of where can you find a market that's that you can serve and please, and that wants to be pleased and give, economically speaking. So anyway, um, 
that's a book that I'm getting through, powering through. It takes me about two, three days, so I'll have a conclusion for you later. Um, but I highly recommend people read. Um, I think it's one of the best things you can do with your brain. Planet Money's Adam Davison, if you want to listen to another podcast that's out there. Just a smart guy. I'd pay money to see smart people talk. So let's talk a little bit about NVIDIA, because I talked about this in the first segment and how the Chinese may not say, hey, wait, why is an American company getting access to all cell phones? Wait, 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 wait. We want that to go back to SoftBank. We don't, no, 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 no. So we'll see how that plays out. But that's those headlines just started the drama. But the biggest semiconductor deal ever is, in my mind, the biggest semiconductor deal to talk about, right? Um, this is a game changer. So NVIDIA is buying ARM. ARM is being sold off probably to raise cash for SoftBank after they had some disasters last year with companies like WeWork's IPO that was a flop. NVIDIA dominates graphic processing, but they also dominate um, servers. They dominate um, CPUs. No, not yet. That's Intel's area of domination. But ARM holdings could be there sooner than later. So ARM... And I don't know why I'm having problems speaking today, but ARM Holdings license their technology. They're the underlying technology that companies like Apple and Broadcom and Qualcomm go about and use. So Intel just never served that market. And the intellectual property license business is very, very profitable. So once NVIDIA announced the acquisition farm, and NVIDIA was already the hottest stock in the last three years, it is it is. Dang sexy, if you know what I'm saying. If you're picking up what I'm putting down. Um, it's It's got some regulatory risk. There's no doubt about that. That's how big this company could become um, and how dominant they can become. But analysts are instantly raised price targets, 600 to 700 Just add $100 on it. They instantly raised earnings. Um, I like the idea of the deal. Will it get through? Regulatory approval, it is very tough to say. But NVIDIA powers servers, dominant. With ARM holdings, they'll dominate cell phones. Do you see where, where I'm going at with this? And if they ever get into the PC, and if they ever move away from the AMD Intel angle, which the technology's there, um, would they dominate PCs too? Is that too much power for one company? I find it interesting. So I think that's um, that was for Monday, the, the whole deal. And Monday I had some technical issues. This is not I'm not having a good week, personally and technically, but I'm fighting through it. Um, speaking of fighting through, one of the things you need to have in retirement is three years of income. Um, that's going to be super important for you to be able to sleep at night. So the market tends not to go through long periods of underperformance, tends to bounce back within three years.